Welcome, consumed listeners, to another season of the podcast that stokes candid conversations with California eaters, drinkers, thinkers, and makers. And speaking of stoking, I'm stoked you're here. How California is that? This season, I spoke exclusively with women in the wine industry, and it was a transformative experience on my end. These are smart, accomplished, and dare I say, ballsy people I interviewed from diverse experiences, cultures, and walks of life. Oh, and I chatted with them outdoors to be COVID safe. Don't be surprised if you hear a lawnmower, barking dog, or wind chime in the breeze. This is my backyard. Welcome. I want to say something here about one of my biggest supporters and cheerleaders, Rancho de Onaveros Wines in California's Santa Maria Valley. Vigneron James Onaveros is an example of a man who shares his platform with the women in his life, business, and industry, including me. He wrote a post on Instagram about the all-women crews that work at Rancho de Onaveros, and I wanted to share that with you. He wrote, There's a sense of detail and accuracy that I've always admired and appreciated out of our crew of ladies. The level of detail and care is unmistakably fantastic. In a business where every little detail adds up in the end to something superior, if done well, it truly matters. I'm always impressed and privileged with the results from this excellent team. Many thanks to Ranchos de Onaveros and James for his support of this podcast and the diversity of voices in the wine industry. For more information about Ranchos de Onaveros wines, visit ranchosdeonaveros.com. Many thanks as well to Slow Life Magazine, the publication that puts the people of San Luis Obispo County in the spotlight. For my next food column in the magazine, I'm writing about rogue pizza makers. That's folks who make and sell their artisan pizzas through non-traditional channels, like from their home kitchen. It turns out there's a real trend here on the Central Coast of secret pizza people who use social media to promote and sell their stuff. Check out the next issue of Slow Life Magazine for more information or visit slowlifemagazine.com. Riley Roddick is the talented winemaker behind Hubba Wines of Paso Robles, California. With the advent of COVID, Riley took the plunge to become her own boss after years of assisting luminary winemakers like Stefan Aceo and Velia Frome, who was on this podcast in season two. The move was a long time in coming. A native of San Diego, Riley studied viticulture at Cal Poly University and eventually traveled to France for her master's degree. Her experiences in Europe over the course of three years shaped her understanding of why wine is so unique among all the products of the world. Here she discusses what it's like to be homesick for your car, why she chose names like Mushroom Head and Butch for her wines, and the flavor that French people detest, according to her own anecdotal research. Here's winemaker Riley Roddick. So um, I know you as Riley Hubbard, but you got married. I did. So now what's your name? It's Riley Roddick. Which is so sexy. I, I love alliteration. Sure. <laughs> um, I didn't really think about uh, changing my name and owning an alcohol business. That was not yeah. great. Oh, wait, what do you mean just because your brand is called Hubba? Well, A, that. Yeah. So it doesn't really make sense anymore. But um, B, just all the entities I have to uh, oh, pay taxes to right. and report to. I had to change it with everybody. I'm like, oh, gosh. <laughs> I mean, that's hard enough do, for but... like the average person changing their name. But then when you have, yeah, alcohol. I was just like, oh, why did I do that? He should have taken my name. Yeah, really? What yeah. would he be then? 
Uh, Nolan Hubbard, I guess. That's a great name, <laughs> Nolan. You should really reconsider. <laughs> I know, right? No. Um, it wasn't that big of a deal because I just moved. Um, right. Out so to I... Shadow Canyon Vineyard. No. Uh, I moved from... Des- so my winery address was at Desperada for the past four years. Oh, we're talking about your winery. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. Uh, and I just moved to Tin City. Uh, mm. My own little space. And so I just did it all at once. Congratulations. That's a huge move. Uh, it was. Yes. I Thank you. Well, I mean, to have your own <laughs> spot is a big deal. Yeah. I'm, I'm currently sharing the spot mm-hmm. uh, with my friend Brian uh, Farrell, who owns Calesta yeah. Vineyards. Yeah. And he, uh, his family is building a winery on their property. Okay. Um, and so until that happens, probably 2022-ish. Uh, we're just sharing the space, and that's how I got to m- move into my own winery. <laughs> How's that been, having your own, like, you know, you're setting hours, and are yeah. you pouring? Are you the only one pouring? I am mostly the only one pouring. Um, my sister, Dreelin, who I have a wine named after, oh. Dreamland. Oh, So Hubba, Hubbard, yeah. my last name, Hubba is like... Hubba, Hubba. It's the <laughs> it's best. Just, it's funnier than Hubbard Wines. Um, not super creative. I think it's a great name. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I have always thought that was a great name. Yeah. Um, but all the wines are kind of nicknamed yeah. of my family members. I was gonna. Um, I was going to ask you. I had a so list. Yeah. Dreelin helps me okay. uh, pour on the weekend sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then... Yeah, uh, my brother Quinn. Is that Butch? Uh, no, that's the Eskimo. Quinn the Eskimo. It's a Bob Dylan song. Oh. Or I think it's called The Mighty Quinn, but he says Quinn the Eskimo a bunch in it. Oh, gosh. Uh, <laughs> he helps me make wine, yeah. too. So kind of family-owned and operated. It is. I had no yeah. idea. Yeah, and my mom also helped this me mother. pour. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pour in the tasting room before COVID. Who's Butch? My dad. Yeah. Um, yeah, and he was not... Butch at all. He was very, like, lanky and skinny, and yeah. I think his dad wanted him to be a little bit more Butch. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's actually a very like light and bright Zinfandel that's named after Beautiful, him. Yeah, and it's kind of funny. It's like a a light Zin yeah. called Butch. That's that I is mean, funny. I think it's funny. <laughs> Winemaker nerd. Yeah, right. Wine nerd <laughs> thinks it's funny. Um, Mushroom Head is the one that I have had. Um, oh, yeah. Just beautiful. What, what's that named after? I never asked you. Uh, my little sister. Uh, <laughs> she had a bowl cut. For most of her childhood, so uh, that was her nickname. And uh, yeah, Um, with so, are you the oldest of all the kids? I am. And how many kids are there? There's four total. Wow, Irish Catholic. Yeah, yeah. Did you do you feel like you carried some of that over into adulthood? Of like, did you were you the were you the oldest child who took care of everybody or like? No. Managed everybody. <laughs> no, my mom always says I'm like the least typical eldest child. Yeah. Um, no. I you seem too chill to be the I'm oldest. I'm just so chill. Yeah. No. <laughs> Love that you know that much. I'm just pretty flighty. I don't no. know. I think eldest children are more kind of um, on top of it. Yep. Well, just like direct am. and <laughs> ambitious and obnoxious. Yeah, I mean, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I speak as one. Yeah. You're an eldest? Oh, one? God. Type A. Oh, I, I want to be type A. Really? Yeah. I want a little bit of that. You don't have any of that? Well, moving into a new space this year has proven that I am 
kind of a control freak. Mm-hmm. But type, I don't know. I wish I was more organized. I don't know. I think anybody who owns their own wine label Maybe. and and who travels the world getting her master's degree in wine, I don't know. Something tells me that you have the drive of a type A or of a firstborn. Maybe. It really just worked out. I, I never really got into wine thinking I was going to be having my own label and mm-hmm. my own place and doing all the things. But... Um, just like roll with it and yeah <laughs> everything that has happened up till now has been just opportunity that mm-hmm. I've been like oh that sounds fun yeah let's do it yeah but how did you when you were growing up did you watch your parents drink wine is that how you knew that they that drink, was an industry yeah they drink wine um not great wine I don't mm-hmm. think um they had four kids they put through catholic school and mm. so I think La Crema was like my mom's yeah. Jam. That's a Friday night right yeah. there. <laughs> um, which, honestly, I tasted it recently. It was pretty good. Was it? Kind of, yeah. I don't know. I mean, it was never that it wasn't quality. It's just, just like the style wasn't. Quantity. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, no, uh, that's why the Chardonnay is named after her. La Crema. Oh, yeah, I love her. it. Um, but, uh, basically, yeah, I just, um, I got into Cal Poly was how I started wine, and um, I applied for ag business because at that point uh, it was not impacted mm-hmm. previously, or not previously. Now it's crazy to even get into Cal it's Poly. completely I, crazy. I couldn't get in under any major. Yeah. Yeah. But I was like, oh, ag business, I'll switch to architecture for some reason. I thought that was my thing. Um, and then I had some ag classes, mm-hmm. and I loved the teachers. Um, I'm from San Diego, so... Uh, it was just so different from what I was used to. For sure. My teacher's saying, like, amens and stuff. I was Oh, for almonds? Yeah. Oh, I, was, I wow. loved it. Uh, yeah, that's and then adorable. I, <laughs> I love it. Uh, I <laughs> figured out I could do um, a minor in viticulture. Yeah. They didn't have the major at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, that was 04 when I started um, and in four years. And so I was like, I think I like wine. Um hmm. I was drinking like Franzia out of a yeah, box sure. at 18, I guess. But maybe it was the process or something right? that grabbed your attention. I liked it more than the Natty Light everyone was drinking. So. Natty Light, I swear. <laughs> I once saw a guy in line at, sorry, to this is <laughs> no, not even good. nearly as important as what Natty you're talking Light. about. There's a guy in line at Rite Aid and he was buying like two cases of Natty Light and then in, that was like in his right hand and in his left hand he had like three bottles of NyQuil. And oh. it was just like, homeboy is wow. sick and wants to get drunk. You're like, maybe just get a stronger uh, beer. I don't know. <laughs> There's got to be <laughs> somewhere between the two. I don't know. Maybe the beer was for him and the yeah. NyQuil was for someone else. I don't know. But I just thought that was, <laughs> I'll never forget that. It's yeah. burned on my Natty brain. Light. Like, okay. Yeah. Is that in slow? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Over on Foothill. I mean. Sounds about right. Yeah. Did you go to Cal Poly because you... Uh, did you know someone who came up here? I loved the area when I visited. I mm-hmm. did a bunch of college visits with my mom, and it was my favorite one. But um, you know what I think stuck with me the most is that um, when I was on my tour at Cal Poly, uh, this kid that I knew was a year older than me from my elementary school and high school was kind of just around and was like, Oh, Riley, what's up? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I feel like I know people here. <laughs> 
And I really feel like that kind of influenced me. How Not that funny. like we're friends now or anything. But, but isn't that funny? Yeah. Hey, Matt Semenza. We just want to be known. Yeah. I think, be, yeah. Belong. Uh, social human being. I yeah. Guess. Um, but also it was a beautiful place and I just wanted to, uh, it was my favorite place that mm-hmm. I visited. So, um, the wine thing just kind of fell into place and, yeah. um, uh, I didn't learn as much as I probably would have liked to mm-hmm. at Cal Poly. It was a minor, it wasn't mm-hmm. the major yet. And it was just kind of getting started yeah. at that point. Um, but when I turned 21, I got a job at La Ventura Winery up in Paso. What a great start. Honestly, I think it's why I make wine now. Yeah. Um, if I had gotten a job at like Gallo or like, you know, some mm-hmm. big company, I don't think that I would have been as inspired. Um, Stefan and his family are just awesome people. They work hard, play the hard. product is, I awesome. mean. Like so serious about what they're doing, yeah. um, but also enjoy life and... Mm-hmm. You get outside, you get to be with nature, you're making a product that's only once a year. It's just, it was super special. Um, and that really inspired me. So that's kind of, that's why I make wine. Yeah. <laughs> I, that wine is so, it's so good. Um, and I can't imagine that being your first experience in a place that's making wine where you're tasting it all the time. I mean, that's a great benchmark to start with. It was very intimidating Yeah, <laughs> at first. I think so. I mean, I was like a mac and cheese hot dog girl. Yeah. Dr. And, Pepper? Oh, yeah. <laughs> root beer? Did you know yeah. French people hate root beer? It's like really? not a flavor they enjoy at all. Yeah. <laughs> um, really? But I just remember sitting at a, my first winemaker dinner ever was, um, about a month after I started working there. And um, there, I remember Jeff Scott was the uh, caterer at the time, chef. And um, I remember wanting to impress everybody. Like I was at the table with all the people. I needed to eat all the food. And I was like, oh, where's the mac and cheese? And monkfish was like the first thing on the menu. I was oh. like, oh, I don't know if I can. And then I tasted it and I was like, hmm, hmm. Yeah, that's pretty delicious. I think I can explore options that's so embarrassing to say that I was 21 when I was (laughs) I not at all things than mac and cheese and bean and cheese burritos I think I was maybe later than that (laughs) yeah yeah but um but why do they hate I'm sorry I'm stuck on root beer oh root beer yeah Uh, it's just not a flavor that they grow up with like sarsaparilla I guess is just not on the menu that must be a very American thing I I wonder if sarsaparilla is like native to North America I wonder I actually haven't really looked into it but it all the French people I've known can't stand like it's it. disgusting yeah like can't believe that I like it oh I love this yeah I love knowing that uh-huh. so when it. you were at Laventure how long were you there I was there for about three years actually three at least three years um and I lived on the property I lived um I like totally immersed myself I was you really did into it um <laughs> all my friends were like going to the city and I was like, I'm going to just stay in Pass Robles in this uh, house that was built in 1914, I think. Um, And I lived on the little back intern house. And all the French interns that would come every year for harvest would live with me. Um, It's like reverse... um, Reverse travel or like, yeah, yeah, it's like being in a hostel, but you're mm -hmm. in Paso. Yeah, it was was fun. Um, There were some good ones. There were some weird ones. Yeah. Um, But uh, how I found out about the master's program was through one of the interns, uh, my friend Charlotte, 
Uh, and she was like, well, there's no real upward movement in this company that you're at. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Would you want to consider, you know, studying? And I was like, yeah. She's like, there's an international program at my school in Montpellier, which is like the south of France, like Languedoc area. Yeah. And um, she's like, you should apply. Um, so I did. Yeah. Uh, and I think they just wanted a girl from California. I was not qual- qualified at all. Were there any other Americans in it? One other one from Pennsylvania. Mm. Um, Random. Yeah. I, mm. I shouldn't say that. <laughs> it all was the Pennsylvanians random. out there. I don't know. Uh, yeah. for I one. would have thought it would be California. But yeah. Yeah. Um, but there were, it ended up being uh, 32 students and 16 different nationalities. Oh, I um, love that. It was so weird at first being, yeah. uh, you know, I was, I was pretty narrow-minded, I think, going into it. Mm. Um, I got really homesick and I was, mm. I was just telling my brother, I thought I was like cooler than all these weird Euro people, Isn't that funny? <laughs> but my mind changed pretty quick. Um, yeah. and it was really an awesome program. We got to, um, if any, it actually is a fake sounding program. It's called uh, Vinifera Euromaster, which doesn't sound real, but it was. Uh, <laughs> now you can, your husband has a dispute with you. Say, excuse me, I am the Euromaster. Yeah, right. Vinifera uh. Euromaster. <laughs> and, um, but, uh, yeah, every week, uh, a different group of teachers from a different country would come and teach us a different module. So, uh, for the first year that was, a year, about a year in Montpellier. And then um, since it was an EU program, we got to pick and choose where we w- we did our second year of yeah, schooling. Because you can just kind of move about. Exactly. Um, all the like European schools were like, we'll take them. We're going to get some EU funding. Um, and so me and a small group of my friends we chose Italy for the second year so we were there for about nine months in Italy I saw Um, you were in Udine yeah uh northeast Italy right yeah which is a place that I think a lot of when when Americans think of Italy they don't think of there I I agree Yeah. yeah um it's the Friuli region um close to Slovenia they're really known for white wine um a lot of I became familiar with a lot of more natural wine making yeah. Yeah. Uh, they did the, they love amphora up there mm-hmm. uh, a lot of like skin contact whites or now people are calling them orange wines is that what um, that means orange wine just means skin contact whites I believe so yeah I'm not really sure look see you don't even it's such a weird <laughs> term I've never fully understood to me it means oxidized because that's what happens yeah. it like gets oranger when it's oxidized but right. um it depend. yeah because I've made orange wine or like skin contact wines that are not not orange orange. right yes that's what I'm always (laughs) confused by um but I I think that's what people are talking about um need to like listen to more podcasts about I suppose natural wine but um but yeah uh so I got really into that kind of style yeah uh over there um and then in between I did a harvest in um France too um a small producer. Isn't that kind of hard to pull off? Like, isn't it pretty tough? You know what? I name drop Stefan's name. Oh, and that means something, doesn't it? Apparently. (laughs) I I name dropped it to like, I I actually asked like 50 people. I had my French friend, because I was, uh, I'm not great at French, uh, write my little emails to everybody. And uh, 
the one person that got back to me, actually two people got back to me, and they both knew Stefan. <laughs> Small <Isn't> world. <laughs> incredible? Well, I, yeah. if I remember right, I don't think I've ever talked to him directly, but I've um, talked to Julian multiple times, and he, and he and he was on this podcast, too. Oh, yeah. And okay. he's great. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. What a cook. What a guy. The yeah. Best. He's fantastic. But I was talking to him one time for some article, and... I said, I was looking at the wine list, I think, and I said, oh, you have a lot of, who is he related to? His godfather's like, is it Hubert and Fee? Oh, Ugel. Ugel, that's it. Yeah. I was like, why do you have a lot of Ugel? Yeah, which, you know, I love those varietals. Um, And he was like, oh, yeah, it's my godfather. And I just thought, okay, you, there is a real, um, there's a legit wine family right there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, my, um. One of my teachers, Keys Van Leeuwen, I think his last name was, um, remembered Stefan from, he was, we had to move to Bordeaux for one month. It was very bizarre, but mm. he was in Bordeaux and he remembered Stefan from, I don't know, before 1998 when he moved here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they've, he's made quite the name for himself in the wine world. He really has. Yeah. Yeah. It's not the only time that I've run into people who've known him and like, Take uh, took me under their wing just because I just because of that yeah yes. which is thanks Stefan yeah cool. really <laughs> um, I just want to back up when you said oh, yeah. um, oh what did you say you said I don't think I fully appreciated I think I th- I thought I was better than a yeah. lot of these people <laughs> I really appreciate your honesty with that because and the first time you go to a foreign country especially if you're pretty young how how old were you. Uh, I think it was like 26. Okay. So, you know, it's your first time going over and it does feel, I mean, I I don't love the word weird because it's, we always tell our kids they're different. (laughs) It's different. The things Mm -hmm. that they're doing are different, but it does feel weird and it feels foreign. Mm -hmm. And you don't really quite understand how they were raised and it's, we're so lucky here. (laughs) We have everything. Yeah. Um, And... It was a really cool learning experience, and I highly recommend it to anybody who ever wants to go further their education. It was mm-hmm. it's cheaper than Davis. I don't know if is it still right? is, but it was. <laughs> what a great education. Yeah. Um, it was it was really special and really cool. Mm-hmm. So, But you lucky. were homesick. That's a long time oh, to yeah. be gone, too. Uh, yeah, I think it was like three years total. I went to Australia before, just for like a vintage Um and then, yeah, so it was like three and a half years, I yeah. think, I was gone. But yeah. France was hard. I really, embarrassingly, I missed my car. I was going to ask you what you were homesick <laughs> for. I thought for sure you would say Mexican food. Oh, yeah. All, I mean, avocados, too, man. Yeah. They, yep. don't, they don't know what an avocado is no. over there. Uh, Which is interesting because it's like creamy and subtle and delicate. You'd think they'd be all over it. And you'd think they could grow it, too. I don't know. It's not a thing. <laughs> not a thing. Um the bread and cheese yeah. made up for it but yeah, um, winner. winner yeah winner <laughs> but uh no my car which is really embarrassing to say um just no. the freedom convenience yeah really mm-hmm. um having to take a bus and bring home groceries or I just ended up yeah. I actually learned how to cook in France because mm. I lived closer to the to the farmer's market than I did the grocery store yeah. and so I would just go and like I just basically taught myself how to cook because i didn't want to walk three miles to the grocery store I and get... I love that. They also don't do prepared foods there. It's not... Right. Like a salad. 
I remember one time I was eating a baguette, um, like a sandwich, uh, and walking. Mm-hmm. I got oh. the most dirty look. What is wrong with you? <laughs> you do yeah. not dig to go food. No. No. <laughs> walking with food. I actually kind of have a thing about that. I was now. really embarrassed. I don't do it anymore. I was so embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> they beat it out of you. Oh my gosh, dirty looks in Europe are oh, yeah. they are a different level of dirty looks. But they just have that it's for sure there are ways to do things. Mm-hmm. And we don't have that, you know, we don't we just don't have that kind of structure here. We no. have other things, but we don't have that. Yeah. It's more convenient to eat on the go. Right. But, but then you're missing so much too. Mm-hmm. I was just I was just yelling at my son this morning about that. <laughs> He's walking around with a banana and like the little stringers <laughs> that come up and I like flinging everywhere. And I just, for God's sake, could you sit down and eat? Um, That's so funny. It's a constant battle, that one. Banana is the one thing I will not eat. Why? I hate it. I hate bananas. It's so like harmless. I wish I loved it. It's such a like healthy snack and convenient and easy. I, I can't, st- if there's a banana... In a smoothie, yeah. I won't drink it. But they're all made with bananas. I know. That's why it's really hard for me to, like, order a smoothie oh <laughs> or make gosh. one. You've never it's liked not, it? No, never. It's just, I don't know. You know, it is weird. Flavors. And that texture. one. Not me. No, it's, yeah, <laughs> texture, but mostly the flavor and the smell. Oh, and it's an overpowering smell. Yeah, can't do How it. How did we get here on this topic? I don't I'm know. Like, I, well, and I, I know like it. I just... <laughs> Riley, I don't eat seafood. None? Zero. None, zero. No judgment. No, I know. It's just like it all, it's all to say it's so, um, it's so like of the moment to eat absolutely everything. Yeah. I want to eat absolutely everything. I I want it so bad. I want to too. I want to say I eat (laughs) nose to tail and root to shoot and all that. And I just, I don't eat like that. Yeah. And it's going to be okay. Yeah. You, just, you are who you are. Right. It's fine. Yeah. Don't let people banana shame you. <laughs> <laughs> or seafood shame. Yeah. No, none of that. Let's take a quick detour here to talk about another consumed sponsor. Slow Food Co-op's mission is to empower health and well-being in the community by providing quality groceries, local produce, and exceptional customer service. Slow Food Co-op sources from local producers, ensuring they offer their shoppers great food and household staples. Slow Food Co-op is your friendly neighborhood grocer, maintaining non-GMO standards and a variety of organic selections. You can find Slow's only community-owned grocery store on their website at slowfood.coop and visit the Slow Food Co-op in-store at 2494 Victoria Avenue in San Luis Obispo, California. You get your master's degree. Was it in any specific concentration? Um, it was, uh, it was viticulture and enology, but then my concentration was definitely viticulture. I did my like my thesis on organic viticulture, mm-hmm. um, and so yeah, mostly viticulture. So could you explain for somebody who doesn't know the difference between like viticulture and winemaking. Oh, when yeah. they hear those words, I think a lot of people think it's the same thing. Yeah. Uh, viticulture is grape growing. Um, lots of different ways to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then winemaking is enology. So once you pick the grapes to ferment them and to make them into wine is what the enology portion was. And you do that now. I do that. I don't, I wish I had a vineyard. I, um, 
I work with other vineyards and buy fruit from local or local and all over the central coast uh, mm-hmm. farms. Hopefully, family owned and operated. That's like my goal. Yeah. Um, buy from only family owned and operated. I feel like that should be possible. Mm-hmm. I think it. It's getting there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, so growing the grapes is one thing. It, and basically, you can't make good wine out of crappy grapes. Doesn't so work like that. Um, that's the most important thing, in mm-hmm. my opinion. And to like, uh, if we're talking about like regenerative ag, you want to leave the land usable for the following generation. And that's super important to me. Mm-hmm. So I wish I could afford my own vineyard, but one day, right? Yes. So. Oh, no, I have no doubt. <laughs> None at all. Maybe not in California, but we'll see. Yeah, they make good stuff uh, elsewhere. Right? They will. There's something it's you changing. said that, well, yeah. There's something you said that made me think, oh, what was it? About a bunch of different ways to do it and the concept of regenerative ag. Oh, I know what it was. You said um, you can't make good wine from crappy grapes and and I knew th- I know that that's Crappy. true. <laughs> Crappy grapes. Um, but there's something about that that I find really interesting. We see all the time people say that they, you know, good wine starts in the, in vineyard. the vineyard. Oh yes. Lord, if I have to hear that one more time. Okay. Also, one other pet peeve is nestled in the hills or nestled in the nestled nestling. We gotta stop with people the nestling. Use nestled. I've never. You I, will see okay, it now everywhere now. <laughs> I challenge you to go to every Nestled. winery website you can think of and you go to like, what an I don't odd know, verb. To nestle, nestle something? Yeah. Okay. No, enough with the nestling. That's weird. Anyway, backing up. <laughs> so weird. great wine starts in the vineyard. Um, what To the average consumer, okay, yeah. you're telling me that, fine. Yeah. But I think what they don't realize is the alternative is buying crappy stuff mm-hmm. And tinkering with it on the other side in winemaking. Exactly. And, and so does that Which happen? Which you can do. Well, I feel, doesn't um, it happen quite a bit? I think in the commercial sense, for yes. sure. Yeah. Um, a lot of people will, a lot of growers, not a lot, but I mean, commercial growers who are, you know, selling their um, bulk fruit to, you know, big huge conglomerates yes they want more yield and when you want more yield uh, there's way more um, likelihood of disease mold that kind of thing so they spray a bunch of stuff um, and then with, with that too with the higher yields you get less concentration in the fruit yeah. so it's like more watery I guess you'd say mm-hmm. and then in turn you gotta fix it in the winery right and with that comes Acid addition, a bunch of additions of mm-hmm. things that I can't even pronounce the name of. Right, some of the stuff. I remember one was uh, called fel- <laughs> Felcro. Fel- oh, uh, Vel- Velcrin is the Velcrin. Um, that's it. That is a widely accepted uh, additive, preservative, in or something. Yeah. The U.S. That is illegal in the EU. Actually, is it's, it really? Because it's widely, widely accepted yeah. here. DMDC, dimethyl dicarbonate, I think, is the like scientific name. But wow. um, it it basically protects any kind of wine if there's any residual sugar or mm-hmm. potential bacteria. Um, I'm not sure if it's just bacteria or just yeast. I think it's just one of the two mm-hmm. that it protects against. But basically, it's in fruit juices here. Like any kind of sweet drink that you have, 
it'll have a little shot of that in there. Wow. Um, and something that's illegal there. People it, don't know. Oh, yeah. My they French don't teacher was like, I have to teach you this, but do not use this. Wow. <laughs> um, it's actually, it's, it's honestly more um, harmful to the person using it than it is the consumer. Oh. It turns into some sort of form that it, it's not harmful to you once it, you ingest it after like 24 hours or something. Mm-hmm. But um, the person actually um, that's managing the production line because they're it's not great yeah right uh, the in contact yeah, yeah. Uh, but no there's a bunch of stuff like that that is widely accepted um, but I choose to add nothing <laughs> you add zero I, well I add a little bit of sulfur yeah. just uh, before bottling because and I'll add it if I smell a ferment going bad like um, like getting acetic acid or mm-hmm. you know kind of VA mm-hmm. um, I'll add a little bit of sulfur in there just to keep it down and protect it um but that's pretty much all yeah um i have added water a couple times why did you do that why would somebody do that so with native ferments so i don't add yeast or anything Mm -hmm. um if the sugar level is too high and sometimes when you're you know sampling or you get a different row than you're supposed to get (laughs) uh, you're a little bit off sorry my (laughs) son is (laughs) and um and then your sugar level is crazy high and you're like oh wait that's that's not gonna finish ferment maybe Mm. uh and that might be too alcoholic of a taste and i think adding water for me is not that big of a deal yeah (laughs) no no it's not that i just wonder why (laughs) but no i I, like what's the effect that it would produce uh just a lower alcohol level Mm -hmm. and then um in turn also it helps ferment the the fruit Mm -hmm. without adding a yeast or like um, some nitrogen or whatever the yeast food you would add. Wow. I would not but, have guessed that. I didn't realize. Um, but yeah, you got to be careful though, because then sometimes it could be a little bit more watery. So you have to. It's crazy. Winemaking yeah. is nuts. It's like, it's like trying to steer um, the Titanic. That's bad, bad, bad. <laughs> it's like trying to steer a huge, let's say like an aircraft carrier. You, It doesn't, all of your moves that you make, they don't have immediate effects. Mm-hmm. You have to kind of like wait and see. Am I right in thinking yeah, that? Yeah, I think so. Um, and it just like like driving uh, or driving or flying or whatever um, takes practice and kind of knowing mm-hmm. what to expect and knowing what's going to happen after if you do this or if you don't do that. And, you know, and then every year is different, too. And that's what kind of makes it fun. Yeah. Um, even when you think you know what you're doing, you're like, oh, oops. <laughs> is it actually <laughs> fun or is it just horrifying? Because I know I like it. you do like it. Okay. Because it can, for <laughs> some people, it can mean, like, disastrous. There are years where there's nothing. Oh, yeah. That, being a farmer, that's... I suppose that's different. Part of it. Yeah. But um, I, I don't really enjoy the business side as a, much as I do the creative scientific side yeah um but it's a part of it so well I that was something I was going to bring up with you actually I on your you did an interview with somebody and you said um I really like this quote but I want to hear what you have to say about it you said I hope to see the industry going more toward organic regeneratively farmed vineyards and winemaking practices focused on vintage and fruit rather than marketing yeah so a lot of those commercial um uh, big conglomerates that, you know, sell grocery store wine, basically. Mm-hmm. They're trying to make um, the same wine year after year. So when you go to the grocery store and you see that 
La Crema say. Mm-hmm. I don't feel bad about yeah. talking about that. They're not going to care um, what you say, and they're not going to hear it from um, you. You were expecting the exact same flavor as you were right. the year before and the year before that. And it should always taste the same, and that's your La Crema, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. You do you. Um, for me, what I think is more important is to kind of show the consumer that it's an ag product and every year is different. The weather's different. The soil changes, um, whatever, like even the bugs in the fruit change from year to year. Sometimes you have like a bunch of earwigs. Sometimes you have a bunch of white spiders. Sometimes there's nothing like, so the flavor is going to be different year to year. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's important to produce stuff that tastes like, like it should naturally like what it is <laughs> yeah yeah um and so all my wines kind of have a different vintage flair i mm-hmm. guess you'd say they're yeah i'm i don't add stuff because i want it to taste like the vintage uh, so yeah. if it was really hot or if it was a cooler vintage you'll know mm-hmm. um and you know marketing wine you can do that um but mm-hmm. then you just add a bunch of other stuff that's unnecessary i think and mm-hmm. um but it, it, that's kind of like an education to a consumer like hey like this is, we can have different tasting things and you can appreciate yeah. them all. Yeah. Um, but then you really have to know your producer. And then, then it like is another conversation about like, you know, your, your whole like vote with your wallet, you know, kind of. Yes. Which I is. I support this producer because I want to yes. instead of, you know. Do I, you have a lot of out, well, so that makes me think about. Knowing your producer so much of the time, that's a hyper-local thing where it's like, okay, Mm -hmm. Riley makes her wine, you know, she buys from wherever, Santa Barbara County, Paso. Mm -hmm. Well, that's my backyard. Into it. So lucky. So lucky. (laughs) But for somebody who's living in, say, Iowa, Mm -hmm. it's very different for them. They, If they know their producer, it might be somebody in, like, I don't know, eastern Washington or Mm -hmm. Idaho or something like that. Yeah. Which is still really far away. Totally. Um, Do you have customers from out of state? Can you sell out of state? Wow. Yeah. I know. It's kind of wild. I had a guy from Alabama contact me. And Alabama is very strict. Um, They only allow you to ship there if you ship to like a state store. Mm-hmm. And then the customer actually has to have some sort of permit to go pick up and like pay the taxes before they pick it up from the state store. Mm-hmm. And I had a guy from Alabama contact me and he was like 75 years old. I was like, did you ask him what you. the heck? Well, you know, actually he saw a score um, mm-hmm. for my first vintage in the wine advocate. And that's why he wanted to try my wine. But, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I guess scores do give you some, so you would never tell me because you're a very modest, lovely person. What was that score? I think um, it was a, the 2016 vintage. And we had a guy from the Wine Advocate. It was his first time actually scoring. So my wines are a little bit lighter in style yeah. than a lot of the Paso, like typical Paso wines that mm-hmm. you would think. They're not as extracted or um, tannic. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, this guy, I forget his name now. I feel like an asshole. Um, <laughs> William something. But he used to he used to score Oregon and Burgundy. Oh. And it was his first time scoring Paso. And I got a great score. <laughs> I mean, for my first time. And a lighter style. Yeah. So I got, I think, a 94 on my um, shard. Yes. And then I think, I don't remember, but it was like, 
low 90s for all the reds. Yeah. And um, it was my first vintage. So it like kind of showed people that I could make good wine. But you know, it was just funny that it was not like the typical Paso style. Isn't guy. that so <laughs> funny? Yeah. Well, like, I, scores are not everything. They're not mm. even, I mean, I think that that day has kind of come and gone when Same. when the, the sun rises and sets with scores and all those guys. However, um, scores can be a good way for people to discover you. And also, mm-hmm. you tell me honestly, maybe this didn't do anything for you, but does it kind of like reaffirm your, your initial you know, my desire. No. <laughs> I'm like, well, it's good for the ego. Well, that's nice too. But, but like you wanted to go out and make wine. Yeah. And uh, I don't mean mm-hmm. to over romanticize it, but you did at some point say, you know what? Okay. I'm going to take the leap. I'm going to make it mm-hmm. to have a score come out from, you know, stalwart wine advocate benchmark kind of um, publication. Did that help kind of affirm what you'd been doing? It was, yeah, it, it felt good, especially for the first vintage. I was like, yeah, oh, I'm doing something right. Like, people like it. Um, more and more now, I think that the people that I've sent my wines to aren't really into that style of wine. No. And I feel like I have to just kind of find the people that maybe are. Or Oh, wait, you mean into your style of wine? Yeah. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, I just feel like... Um, I don't think Jeb Dunnick will ever give me like um, 100 points or anything like Mm-mm. that. It's not his. It's not his bag. Well, people who but, yeah. maybe I'm speaking out of turn, but people who make and care about natural wines are not score people. Exactly. But I do think that um, it does feel good when people like your wine yeah. and tell other people about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the most important thing for me now is focusing on my wine club. Yeah. And the people that I meet every day in the tasting room, and if they like it, that gives me a lot of ego boost and confidence. I'm like, okay, well, you're fun. I like you. You like my wine? Cool. Is a lot of it getting shipped away, or is it um, mostly getting picked up? Mostly picked up. And um, I have, like, a couple good customers in a couple states, but um, for the most part, they've come to California yeah. and tasted it here first. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I had a distributor hasn't bought wine in a while <laughs> in Wisconsin, which is random, really? but um, he had come to Desperado when I was there and he's bought a couple or more than a couple cases of wine. And so I have a couple of wine club members in Wisconsin, which is so funny, weird, but cool. So he's cracking your bottles in Wisconsin. Yeah. It's crazy to think. I know. Um, you you said when you were with Desperado, you're not working there anymore? No. I you're am, all on your own? Uh-huh. Well, I'm also consulting for Monochrome Wines. Oh, okay. Um, which is also Intensity. Yeah. Um, the all-white brand there. So yeah. I'm just doing a little bit of consulting and then Look all hubba. That's a really big move. I know. It's been a big year for everybody. So this was 2020 when you did that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Was it scary? Yeah, but I was ready. It yeah. was time. You know, yeah. I was like, I think I can do this. And how long had you been with Thalia? Four years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it actually worked out great with the pandemic because, mm. you know, she didn't really need anybody no. extra's help. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm going to take this time and, you know, move into this new space. So. Yeah. Hard stop. Yeah. The d- pandemic has done that for a lot of people, I think. It's like, well, yeah. 
I was going to retire, you know, next year, but yeah, let's do it now. Uh Or I was going to make this big move next year and I'm going to do it now. Yeah. Yeah. Just crazier. (laughs) You are a small business owner. That's incredible. Uh, It's an incredible move. It takes a lot of um, spunk, I think, to do that. What's the hardest part of being an entrepreneur in your first year of being fully on your own? Mm, Probably the money side of things. I didn't want to (laughs) pry, but I am always curious. Yeah, Yeah. money. Um, Like, what kind of a change is that for you? uh, You know, losing an income isn't great for the business. But Mm. no, you know, uh, but being able to be there full time and actually sell more wine Mm -hmm. made up for it. But, um, but basically wine is a hard business to have your own business when you don't have any startup money. That's why most people make their money in other industries and then they become winery owners. I'm I'm like dying. I want to say all of the different ones that I know of. (laughs) But I mean, that's a smart way to do it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But then you might not actually be a winemaker. (laughs) You know, it might be just like a fun thing. Um, But yeah, like, because you don't see a return for at least two years. Mm -hmm. Um, The banking part of it has been really confusing for me to figure out and try Mm -hmm. to like kind of work around and explain my side of it to bankers they're like what no Hmm. why aren't you you have no money yet (laughs) you've been doing this for two years what um but that's probably been the most challenging but you know we're working it out of course um as one does but that is like and it's hard for me like I think I got a D in finance Mm -hmm. um at Cal Poly and I was like I'll take it I don't care (laughs) I I can't do any more of this um my brain doesn't work that way yeah same so same I have some help I got a really good accountant um good. but but yeah uh, that's definitely not my forte yeah um, yeah same <laughs> oh my gosh um but yeah and just all the things because I'm pretty much well not anymore I'm not a one woman show but mm-hmm. my husband helps a lot is he a winemaker or in no. the wine industry no he's an artist is he really? Um, slash builder, slash... He's a renaissance man, I would say. Really? Uh, <laughs> How did you two meet? Oh, we met at um, Whiskey in June at about 2 a.m. I almost said <laughs> at a bar as yeah. a joke, yeah. but yeah. no, you really did. I love uh-huh. it. And then it ended up that he was working across the street at Daniel Daniel's Woodlands. Um, that Diamond Adult World? <laughs> no, not from Whiskey in June, from Desperado. Um, Daniel's Woodlands, they had that like treehouse show on, I don't know, it was like A&E or something. But they made treehouses, and he was a part of the, like, at that time, he was making shooting galleries for like... Oh my gosh. He would go to China? It was really random. But um, now he he's uh, working on airplanes, like... Um, he, what's the word? Restores World War One and Two biplanes. Your husband does this? Yeah, he's super talented. That is so fun. He can also uh, make you a mandolin or repair your violin. He's a luthier. Um, he's sexy. My son plays cello, <laughs> and we always Do you need, need it fixed. Always. You see me, I can't even talk. We constantly <laughs> need help. You have to go to Santa Barbara for oh, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, no, there's. Um, so he learned. Violin repair, um, Roger Simonoff, uh, had a I know place that name. in Santa Margarita. Um, so he worked and taught there forever. 
but wow, um, he's a luthier. Yeah, he's sexy. But um, oh, that's awesome. We randomly met at a bar at two a.m. I so love it. But of all the bars, mm-hmm. that's a pretty great bar. It's the best. I think it's my favorite on the yeah. Central Coast. I'd love to have those guys on here sometime. Oh yeah, they're like your neighbors. I think they live right around. Oh, the corner. are they really? Yeah. Oh, because Russell and Valia used to live right here too. Yes, and I remember. They were neighbors. Yeah. Oh, so they go all the way up to the Tascadero every day to, or they did before COVID. Yeah, I guess. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Well, so let me ask you about going forward. Like, if you're gonna think about the next step, I know that stability is key right now, but yeah. if you were to think about the next step, what would that be? What do you want? You know, do you want to start another label and do a different kind of wine, or has that ever crossed your mind? Well, I think. Um, 2020 has brought about a lot of issues with a lot of things, mm-hmm. uh, including all the smoke taint. Yeah. Um, and so I think what I'm going to do for some 2020 wines. So Hubba is all about my family. Mm-hmm. It's all like wine that I definitely make. Um, and I don't grow the fruit, but I work closely with growers and um, kind of curate each blend. Whereas in the future, I think... Um, I'm going to start. I guess I'm going to just talk about it. Um, Do it. I just bought a kegerator and Mm. (laughs) I'm going to keg some wine from um, a couple of my friends Mm -hmm. and a couple of my 2020s that potentially may have smoke taint. Apparently smoke taint is what I've heard. I've never worked with it before. I don't have any experience, but it can show up in the bottle years later. So even Uh if you didn't smell taste it now mm-hmm. like one wow. day you open it like five years later and it will Surprise! smell like an ashtray yeah oh geez so i think what i'm going to do with some 2020 wines also people are probably bottling less than mm-hmm. they would like to or you know they can so they don't have to have all this inventory on so, hand i think i'm going to buy a couple barrels from mm-hmm. a couple of my friends maybe in tin city and do kind of a kegged wine uh, list mm-hmm. for a lower price and Fun. i was just on the phone with um my friend who helps me uh with graphic designing yeah. we're gonna do bag and boxes <laughs> wait what does that mean oh so like re the bladder reusable in the- bag and boxes so someone could come do the tasting of like a lower you know tier yeah of kegged wines and then be like oh hey i want like a liter and a half of that which is two bottles or i want three liters and it'll be four bottles and it just wouldn't come with all that packaging. Right. And so, And they could come back and reuse that actual bladder. And the price so. would be much significantly lower. there. I don't yeah. think people realize how much you pay for packaging. It's kind of crazy. The corks are the most expensive. Are they really? I mean, mine are. I pay the most for my corks just because that's the only thing that's actually touching the wine. I mean, glass, yes. yeah. But um, it's so, poor. I mean, it's different than glass. Yeah. It, it could contribute to a lot of, mm. you know... Things going bad in the wine. I had no idea that was the um, most expensive part. So, well, for me, yeah. for you, um, mm-hmm. there are cheaper ones that you can buy, but um, glass is pretty expensive. It is your label, you know, and the weight mm. and your freight mm-hmm. and all. Shipping I mean, and all that. so much. So, um, but yeah, that, that's not like long term. That's just kind of like for the summer, maybe fun. Um, but long term, yeah, I'd love to have a vineyard someday. But yeah, there we go. Who knows where? Mm. I don't know. We're looking at New Mexico. No, no, stop. <laughs> no, I don't know. I would love to be able to afford something here. So yeah. we'll see. Okay. But love it here. Yeah, love it here too. Yeah. Don't move away. It's the best. If you knew that tomorrow was your last day on earth and you wanted to celebrate your life, what would you eat and eat. drink? Ooh. And who would you be with? 
Definitely with my family and my husband. Um, they definitely mean the most to me. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely eat cheese. What kind of cheese? I My favorite always and probably always will be a triple cream brie. God, yes. I haven't had Pierre Robert in a long time, and that just like popped in my head. But like San Andre and all that. La Bourgogne. Briat. Like, that is my. Just paint it on me. Just put it on my face. (laughs) I could eat a whole one and eat another one right afterwards. Uh, And then be in Uh utter pain. Uh, You know, (laughs) I think my body's used to it. Oh, that's nice. I don't know if my husband would say the same thing. (laughs) But um, yeah, I love. I love triple cream brie. Mm-hmm. I love champagne. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I love Chardonnay. <laughs> I love it. So what a happy time that would be. What about you? God, thanks. Thank you. Oh, geez. Um, who would I be with? Um, You're like, no one alone. No. no. <laughs> now, that's interesting, though, that you say that because I, I love being alone. Oh, me too. I really, really uh-huh. do. And it's been interesting to see my kids. What would they rather? Would they rather be with people or would they rather be alone? And um, and then when you watch your own children, you inevitably start thinking about yourself. And yeah, mm-hmm. I love being alone. That, you know, that's interesting. <laughs> but I can't bear to say that, you know, to my husband and kids. Yeah. Um, but I, I just adore my husband. I, you know, we're almost at 20 years now. and oh, Congratulations. It's just... He is, um, it's amazing. I, I have been in love before, mm-hmm. but this, when you commit and you get to watch it blossom, mm-hmm. is a completely different kind of experience and um, and go through the hard Just stuff. Grow together. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and really like, like, you know, grafted, we really have grown together. We, it would be very, very hard to take us apart. So, mm-hmm. um, anyway. That's beautiful. Well, thanks. And I don't know yeah, what, what I'd would eat. you eat. Uh, gosh. I love Flower House Pizza. I just, I love their pizza. Hey, shout out. Nice. I just Flower totally House. do. I gotta go eat that. <laughs> they know how I feel about them. And I just, you know, it, it kind of like brings awesome. tears to my eyes. More than talking about my husband, I talk about Flower House Pizza and I start to get a little weepy. I almost just said pizza. Mm-hmm. Because it's special. Pizza's delicious. Yeah. yeah. Any kind. Totally. Well, you are lovely. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks so and much for, for talking, talking to me. me. You're lovely. Yeah. Yay! Woohoo! Listeners, I hope you've learned something, felt something, or been pushed to taste something new during this episode. I'm getting a buzz just thinking about it. If you want to learn more about Consumed or any of my guests, go to letsgetconsumed.com. Very special thanks to my stalwart editor, Chris Lambert, who helps me out when he's not working on his own project, the wildly popular true crime podcast, Your Own Backyard, about the disappearance of Cal Poly student Kristen Smart. There's new movement in that story, by the way, so look the podcast up right now. Also, if you like Consumed and think more people should hear it, please review the podcast wherever you like to listen. That always gives me a thrill. Okay, until next time, I'm Jamie Lewis.